Let's get into the Word. We're going to be in Genesis 28 today. We're going to make it through chapter 28 and chapter 29, I think, if I can get there. Um, But we ended last week with Isaac, who thought he was going to die soon. I don't know if you've ever been at that stage in life where you're just sitting there going, oh, I just can't deal with this anymore. But that's where he was at. Now, he went on to live many more years, but his brother had died at that same age, so I'm sure that was on his mind. But he calls his favorite son Esau in and tells him, go catch me some wild game, go uh, you know, cook a meal that I just love, and I'm just going to give you the, the family blessing that will, you will carry on. And his wife, Rebecca, overhears this and manipulates the situation. Isaac is blind at this point, uh, so Jacob dresses up like Esau, and his mom tells him to do all this. And, and Jacob basically takes the place and receives the blessing. Well, Esau soon comes in after that with wild gain and, and a good meal for his father and, and finds out what happened, and he's, he's upset about it. Rebecca tells uh, him that, uh, or tells Jacob that he needs to go to her uncle's house in Haran because we find out that Esau wants to uh, basically kill him what he did so there's you know lovely family dynamics going on here so it says in uh, verse one here Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him then he command it commanded him do not marry a Canaanite woman go at once to Paddan Aram to the house of your mother's father at Bethel take a wife for yourself there from among the daughters of Laban your mother's brother may uh, may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing to give to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. So basically he calls him in and says, hey, you need to leave. You know, mom's like, okay, well, Esau's going to kill him, so we need to get him out of here. Maybe he can go to my brother's house. So they tell him, you need to go to Uncle Laban's house. So Isaac calls him in and blesses him again. Uh, He he reaffirms the blessing that he's going to get. But Isaac is also now realizing that God is going to give Jacob Abraham's blessing. He promised that before they were born uh, many years ago. So so Isaac's almost like finally coming on board. Okay, Lord, if this is really what you want, then I'm on board. And Isaac also gives him advice about life. There are two life-altering things. Uh, decisions that we make in life. The first is marriage. Would you say marriage is a life-altering decision? You know, um, and we should choose wisely who we marry, because either they will, can assist you in life and in ministry, and as you go on, or they can become the ministry and the life. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I'll just leave that alone right there. But it's very important for both men and women to choose a good mate, a godly mate. Now. What happens if you don't choose a godly mate? Well, you're going to have to be working at it. You're going to be doing a lot of prayer that's going to be involved in that. You have to do your part in that. You just can't wash your hands and go, well, if they're not doing it, no, 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 no. You do your part. You stay true. You stay faithful. You keep praying, and it's a lot of work, and you draw them back to the Lord, hopefully. Now, the second thing is who we worship. That's another life-altering uh, decision you make in your life. Do you worship the one true God? Do you worship the Lord God Almighty, or do you worship the world? 
There's two masters in this world. There's the world and there's God. And which one are you going to serve? That is a life-altering decision because you can't serve both. Verse 5, it goes on and says, Then Isaac said to Jacob on his way, or sent Jacob on his way, and he went to Paddan Aram to Laban, son of Bethiel, the Armenian, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. So this is about 450 miles away for us, an eight-hour journey on a, you know, in a car. We get going, we're good, we're there in eight hours. Um, it takes him a lot longer than eight hours to get there. This is about a month's journey for him at least. And this is where Abraham is from. Verse 6, it says, Now Esau learned that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him to Paddan Aram to take a wife from there, and that he, w- he blessed him... He, uh, and that when he blessed him, he commanded him, do not marry a Canaanite woman. Now, this is interesting. This is exactly what Esau had already done. He'd marry a Canaanite woman, which took him away from the Lord. He, you, know, God, or, you know, God said, don't marry outside your, your belief system. It wasn't about color of skin and all that kind of stuff. It was about what are they worshiping and where are they pulling you? Away from the Lord or towards you, the Lord? If you marry outside of that, what happens? Uh, we don't really need to go to church this Sunday. Why do that? You know, oh, why don't we do on this trip or that trip? And they start pulling you slowly away from the Lord. And that's exactly what Esau did. And, and in verse 7, it says, And that Jacob had obeyed his father and mother and had gone to Paddan Aram. Esau then realized how displeasing the Canaanite women were to his father Isaac. So he went to Ishmael and, and married uh, Mahath, uh, Mahaloth. The sister of, yeah, Neb, Nebaeth, you pronounce it, you know, we ought to just have somebody up here that's really good at pronouncing this. I can just do the mic to their, their mouth when we hit these things. The daughter of uh, uh, Ishmael, the son of Abraham, in addition to the wives he already had. So Jacob was a believer. He obeyed his father, and Esau is trying to make up for time here, and he marries one of Ishmael's daughters, okay? In other words, from the clan, from the family line and stuff. But he has, no, he has no clue how to please his father at all. It's interesting. You know, if your father's still alive, most of us try to please our fathers. We want our father's approval in life. That's just, that's just how we're built as human beings. And this, is, you know, this shows the, the power of a father has over his sons and daughters. Now, I don't know of any child who doesn't want to please his father. Um, in that aspect. But if the father is not with the family, then what do we do? Well, we as a church need to provide quality, healthy, okay, healthy relationship with the Lord is what I'm talking about, men and women to take the place of fathers and mothers when they're not around. We need to be able to, to be those father figures to those that need them, to be a godly person, to, to, to step in there, not to take over parenting, but to to help those parents along in life. Because they're going to end up looking like someone. They're going to end up either, either looking like the world or looking like a godly person. And wouldn't it be better if we stepped in and helped them out and got them to that point where they were matured uh, Christian along the way? That's what we're called to do. Verse 10, it says, Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. 
He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the on the earth and its top reaching the heaven and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Here's my question. How many of you have seen a picture of an angel? Right? Okay. No, three people. Come on. Wake up a little bit. Now, do they have these little flappy things in the back? Then why is there a stairway? You know what I'm saying? We get our pictures from the world of, of what angels really are truly like. You know, we, we think all the angels have wings and all this kind of stuff. You go study angels throughout the Bible, you'll find all sorts of uh, different things. So don't take the world's view on this. But Jacob is tired. He lays down and he has his dream. Now, Bethel is where he ends up, and it's about 12 miles north of Jerusalem. He started out about 25 miles south of Jerusalem. This means he traveled around 40 miles in one day. Now, that's, that's Holland, okay? He, he's scared of his big brother, and he took off. He, I mean, he probably just basically ran the whole day thinking Esau was af- you know, after him. He was afraid. Probably the first time ever he's been gone from his family, especially his mom, okay? And, you know, we've been stuck on the word ladder, right? Jacob's ladder. We've all heard about Jacob's ladder, right? Uh, we've been stuck on this, uh, this term for a long time, but the Hebrew word actually could mean stairway or it could mean bridge. Um, and this is a great picture of what Jesus has done for us. When Jesus was put on the cross and died for our sins... He became the bridge. He became the stairway. He became the ladder to get to God. Isn't that a great picture of what's going on here? On their own, you know, it it took belief to get to God. The cross is the way that we ascend to heaven through believing what he did for us. Verse 13, it goes on and says, There above it stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. Your descendants will be, will be like the dust of the earth, and you will spread out to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south. All peoples on earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you and will watch over you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land. I will not leave you until I've done what I promised you. Now, Abraham and Isaac had no doubt told him about the promise. I mean, this is a family thing. It's been handed down how God had appeared to them. And, and, and then Jacob had heard the stories, but he's never experienced it himself. And all of a sudden, you know, Jacob, he, Jacob knows the blessing is true, but now the Lord is talking to him. This encounter with the Lord just radically changes Jacob's life. He didn't realize that when he was running from his brother, that God was going to meet him and change him at this point. He didn't have any clue. He's just afraid, and he's just running, he's exhausted. And this really goes to show us that we cannot live off the faith of others. We cannot live off the, favorite, uh, the faith of Abraham and Isaac. We cannot live off the faith, the faith that our parents or grandparents or great-grandparents had, you know, the, you know, Christian in name only, you know, the, well, my family's always been Baptist, I'm a Baptist, or my family's always been Catholic, I'm a Catholic, or whatever, you know, we have to decide whether we follow the one true God or not. We can't live off of someone else's faith. Only then does it become powerful when we actually meet the Lord in life-changing. Jacob was a believer, but he didn't know God in a deep way. He tells Jacob, I will not leave you until I've done what I've promised you. Does this sound familiar? 
This is what Paul, same as what Paul says about the promise that Jesus gives us. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on until completion, until the day of, of Christ Jesus. <laughs> Here's the thing. Jesus tells us that he will never leave us and never forsake us. Why? Why does he promise this? Well, he promises this because he wants us to understand that the work will continue in us. We are the construction project. Don't you wish you were finished? <laughs> you won't be finished until you get to heaven. And then he's going to give you a whole new body and so forth. I mean, it's an amazing thing, but we are the construction progress. He begins to tear down the old and replace it with the new. It starts with certain relationships. He tears away certain relationships in your life when you, become to, when you come to God, and then he replaces them with other relationships that are going to draw you toward him. The old way of thinking, it starts changing our mind and, and so forth, where, where things we used to do, which were okay, we start to do now, and we go, wait a second, I, I'm not quite sure whether this is, whether I should be doing this or not. Hmm. As we stay in the Word, we're fed the Word of God, and the reprogramming starts to happen, and He starts to build godliness into us. He starts to build the fruit of the Spirit. The work is not done until, until the rapture or when you die, and then we'll be glorified. One of the things I'm trying to do with my son is we're talking about different fruits of the Spirit each day because I want him to understand the attributes of God. I want him to understand who God is, that he can be like God, that he can be molded in that. It goes on in verse 16, it says, when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? I almost feel like he was a little kid, like, how awesome, how cool is that? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So he started with fear, and now he's in a place of awe of God. He's in a place of just, wow, you know. Uh, knowing that his future is going to be okay. And, and when we know our future is going to be okay, that anxiety can start to fall away. When we're focused on our situation like Jacob, in other words, when we're focused on running from Esau, it looks bad for him. It is bad for him. But now everything has changed. There is hope for him. There's a future for him. And this is what God does for us. Through our belief in Jesus Christ, we now have a hope because of what he's done for us. Jacob now realizes God is with him. Jacob was not a deeply spiritual man. He now realizes that God has always been with him. Psalms 139, it says, Where can I go from your spirit? Where can, can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there... Your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold me fast. We forget that God is always with us. That should kind of make us be a little bit fearful, shouldn't it? God is always with us. Sometimes we don't sense his presence. But this is when we need to remind ourselves what we've been taught in the scriptures. Verse 18, it goes on and says, 
Early the next morning, Jacob took, up stone, uh, took a stone he'd placed under his head and set it up as a pillar and poured oil on it. He called the place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. This is what I love about God and his sense of humor. Luz means separated. This place used to mean separated. And now this place means God is there, the place of God. We're no longer separated from God. So God told him that, you know, go to the city of separation uh, to show him that God has always been with him, and it's now called the house of God. In our lives, first comes the separation. Then comes the the fellowship and the, the abiding in his house. Christianity is a separation from the old and going to the new. Jacob was not a very spiritual man to begin with, but the process is starting to change in his life. And it's a struggle for him. And it's a struggle for us. Later, the Lord will will take him and mature him some more. And at one point, God calls himself the God of Bethel, trying to remind him, I am that God that you met way back there. You need to come back to me because you've gone so far away. This became a pivotal point in Jacob's life. Every time Jacob strayed, the Lord would appear to him and say, time for you to get back to Bethel. Time for you to get back to where you remember me and who I am and what I've done in your life. Now, we've all had some type of Bethel experience in our life, whether it was when we were saved or maybe a life circumstance. You know, you may may even have multiple Bethels in your life. But one of them for my wife and I, as I talked about, about earlier, you know, Forever Family Day, For us, is the adoption of Grayson. We've been told two months earlier, you're not going to be able to have any more kids. We're pretty practical people, okay? I mean, I can be emotional and all that, but but it wasn't like we were just devastated. We had had Brandon. We were happy. We were like, okay, if the Lord wants us to have one child, then we're going to put all our effort and time and energy into that one child and raise them in the Lord's way. Then two months later, a young woman shows up and says, Would you like to adopt my child? And for us, this is a Bethel moment. The Lord's wanting to bless us, and he did bless us. I mean, talk about the Lord's blessing. This is one of those Bethel moments. No matter what happens in life, I can remember that moment and say, God was with me and wants to bless me. You need to remember the Bethel moments in your life. Sometimes these moments happen later in our Christian walk. Sometimes it's very early when we accept him. But there are times when we stray. There are times when we drift. And God will say, go back to that moment. Remember what I did. This is why it's important for us to build monuments in our life. This is why we need to remember certain things. I love that I can have my calendar in my pocket you know, I, I, don't ha- you know, I don't have to go look on the wall and always forget to look and go, okay, well, what's coming up or what? You know, I can remember. So I got yearly reminders of certain things in my calendar, and, and some of those are godly reminders. And one of them, like I said, is Forever Family Day. It's on my calendar. It'll be on there forever. It's a reminder for us. It's, a, it's like a, a, a place to come back to. It's a monument. Unfortunately, Jacob makes a very immature vow right after this. God does something really cool, and then here's Jacob in verse 20. Then Jacob made a vow saying, If God will be with me 
and will watch over me on this journey I'm taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's household. Then the Lord will be my God and the stone I've set up as a pillar will be God's house and all uh, and and of all that you give me, I will give you a tenth. Now, in true fashion, Jacob makes a vow where he bargains with the Lord. I mean, this is, that's part of his nature. That's who he is. In the Hebrew, the word if could be, it could be the word since. Since God is with me, or if God is with me. Either way, Jacob is making a conditional vow. If you do this, then I'll let you be my God. I love this. Jacob was a person who, who needed that physical proof of God. In other words, he's walking by sight, not by faith. And we're called to do the, you know, the opposite. We're called to walk by faith, to say, I am with you, God, no matter what. Unfortunately, many Christians stay in that shallow edge. When trouble comes, what happens? They ditch the church. They go off. I mean, over the years, I've watched this. I've been in ministry since... Well, I mean, started helping out in ministry in 1990, but I've been in, in ministry since 93, full-time. and so, But, I mean, just you can see this going on. When trouble comes, they ditch the church. Life gets difficult, they run. Instead of relying on the Lord, instead of relying on the church, instead of coming to other people saying, pray for me, help me, they take off. And when things calm down, what happens? They come back to church. The reality is this is when we need God the most. We need to not turn from God. We need to remember when God's done great things so we'll come back to God. And we're going to see that as we go forward um, in the next few chapters of what happens with Jacob. goes on and says, Then Jacob continued on his journey and came to the land of the eastern peoples. There he saw a well in the open country with three flocks of sheep lying near it because the flocks were were watered from that well. The stone over the mouth of the well was large. When all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone away from the well's mouth and water the sheep. And then they would return the stone to its place over the mouth of the well. So, you know, again, we've talked about the wells. We we think of the classic well in the Western show where you had the brick all rounded up and you got the little bucket on this, you know, rope and, you know, that. No, these were fly. They didn't want other people to know where these wells were and they would take a big rock and they would put it over it on the ground so they kind of keep them because it took a lot of work to get these wells the rock was also there to keep people from falling into it goes on in verse four it says jacob asked the shepherds my brothers where are you from we're from haran they replied he said to them do you know laban nahor's grandson yes we know him they answered then jacob asked them, is he well yes he is they said and he comes and here comes his daughter, Rachel, with the sheep. Now, do you remind me, that, uh, I mean, does this remind you of how Abraham found a, w- a wife for Isaac? You know, he sent the, the guy to, to, you know, back to the same land. And, and you know, if, if the woman comes and says, I'll water all your camels, that must be the one. Okay, the same kind of, kind of reminds me of that. Here comes Rachel. I mean, God's timing is perfect. Verse 7, look, he said, the sun is still high. And it is not time for the flocks to be gathered. Water the sheep and take them back to pasture. Basically, he's trying to get rid of all the shepherds because he wants to talk to Rachel. Beautiful young lady, young man. He's sitting there going, yeah, I like, okay, yeah. Hey, can you guys just go away? That's what he's trying to do, shoo them away. 
We can't, they replied, until all the flocks are gathered and the stone has been rolled away from the mouth of the well. Then we will water the sheep. Now, these guys were probably young men, like shepherd boys, the young kids, because you would send the young kids out to do this work. And they needed enough of them to, to gather together, probably to move the stones, you know, because, you know, it'd be like Brandon and his friends trying to move a big stone. You know, it takes a lot of them to do it, you know. And then a big strapping dad comes along and says, let me handle that, you know. But, okay, I thought that was funny. But anyway, uh, I guess I just need to go on here. Um, Verse 9, it says, While he was still talking with them, Rachel came with her father's sheep, for she was a shepherd. When Jacob saw Rachel's daughter, uh, uh, saw Rachel, daughter of Uncle Laban, and Laban's sheep, he went over and rolled the stone away from the mouth of the well and watered his uncle's sheep. Then Jacob kissed Rachel and began to weep aloud. Now, is this love at first sight? Well, I guess. I think this was more feelings at first sight. Basically, it wasn't really love at this point. God's word says that agape love, or the words true love, is a commitment. Feelings come along with that, but true love is a commitment to one another. Jacob proves his love by, by working for her hand in marriage for 14 years. Now, that's a commitment, right? Wow. It's important for us to understand love. When we're looking for a mate, young people, that, you know, ignore me during the summers, I understand that, you're young, but pay attention to this. When you're looking for a mate, make sure it's not based on pure emotion. Make sure it's not based on just feelings. Now, when it says that Rachel was, uh, you know, when it says that Jacob kissed Rachel, it's not what you think. He didn't just plant one on her, okay? It was family member Oh, you're my extended family. There's a customary greeting, kiss on the cheeks, and all that kind of stuff. So we're talking about that kind of, uh, of kiss, okay? So we're not talking about anything else here. It would have been improper for him to kiss her on the lips. But uh, the cheek kiss, you know, it, it probably lasted a little bit normal. I mean, longer than normal. I mean, he seems to be smitten here. Verse 12, it goes on. He told Rachel that he was a relative of her father and the son of Rebekah. So she ran and told her father, as soon as Laban heard the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he hurried to meet him. He embraced him and kissed him and brought him to his home, and there Jacob told him all these things. Verse 14, then Laban said to him, you're my own flesh and blood, after, and then after Jacob had stayed for him with him for a whole month. So it seems like Laban's being pretty nice to him. Now, you remember last time when Abraham sent his servant to get a wife for Isaac. That was Laban's sister. So he was around. He saw the money that came. He understands the, uh, the moolah that comes with the family, okay? And so he's being really nice. He's thinking, maybe this guy will, will give me stuff like, you know, they gave stuff for, for my sister, you know? Verse 15, then Laban said to him, just because you're a relative of mine, should you work for me for nothing? So Jacob was kind of working around the house or something. Tell me what your wages should be. Now Laban had two daughters. The name of the older one was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Now, very seldom does the Bible call a woman beautiful. Okay, I mean, I'm not, not saying that God doesn't believe women are beautiful, but I'm just saying very seldom is it written down. One is Esther, and here was Rachel. But you get the sense of Leah was... Uh, 
wasn't able to see that well here. Some say that her eyes were blue, not brown, as they were preferred. So that could have been what they're referring, referring to. We're not really sure. Others say that she was more refined in personality than Rachel. But we don't really know. But what we do know is what? Rachel was beautiful. It says there in the scripture. Verse 18, it says, Jacob was in love with Rachel and said, I'll work for you seven years in return for your, daughter, for your younger daughter, Rachel. Laban said, it's better that I give her to you than to um, some other man. Stay here with me. So Jacob, so Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, and they seemed, uh, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Now, this is one of the most beautiful expressions of love in the Scripture. Seems like only a few days. Now, I'm sure you talk uh, to uh, uh, some people who have been married a long time. Some of them will tell you, man, it seems like only a few days that we were, like, young and in love. You know what I'm saying? In my mind, I'm a lot skinnier, and my wife's, you know, we're all, you know, young and in love, you know. Jacob served seven years. This was his dowry. And he's willing to work for her. This was excessive. Seven years was a long time. Jacob basically didn't want anybody outbidding him, okay? Jacob's going, there's other men around here that would love to have her as, as their spouse. And they would probably say, oh, I'll work for three years. I'll work for four years. And Jacob's going, I, I'll work for seven. The shepherd lives out in the open most of the year. And it could be dangerous. It was cold at night. He had to protect the animals. There was lion and bears in the area. This was constant work. Now, this is how, uh, how scheming Laban was. because Jacob's really meeting his match here. It says in verse 21, Then Jacob said to Laban, Give me my wife. My time is completed, and I want to make love to her. In other words, I want, it, I want this to be a marriage now. So Laban brought together all the people in the place and gave a great feast. But when evening came, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And Jacob made love to her, and Laban gave his servant Silpah to his daughter as her attendant. When morning came, there was Leah. Now, is that an understatement or what? When the morning came, there was Leah. You know. <laughs> we think, now how did Laban pull this off? Well, big feast. They'd probably been drinking. Jacob probably drank a lot of wine. Secondly, the, the woman would have been in full veil. In other words, face, everything covered up, full veil. Thirdly, it was dark. We don't have light, no light switches, okay? Yeah, you have, you know, candle and fire and all that, but it was dark. Now, I don't think Leah wanted to do this, but she had to obey her father. And, uh, you know, Jacob had never heard her really, I mean... Look here, let's go on. It says, so Jacob said to, uh, to Laban, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? In other words, what kind of man are you? You know, why did you trick me? This is not right. It's kind of interesting. This is exactly how Jacob deceived his father, right? His father was in darkness. He couldn't see. This is the same kind of thing. You know, God does this. It's the law of uh, reciprocity. You know, we, we love to call it, you know, you'll reap what you sow. 
Jacob deceived his father thinking it was, you know, his father thinking it was Esau. Now Jacob is deceived thinking it was Rachel. So the Lord does this a little bit. This is a lesson that Laban teaches here. Verse 26. There's something else going on too right here. Laban replied, it is not our custom here to give the younger daughter in marriage before the older one. He's basically saying in our country, we respect the firstborn. So, so Jacob, you know, during the seven years, had probably told the story about how he got the blessing from, from his father, but how he probably, you know, how he tricked his younger brother, even though he had the, uh, you know, the, 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 the prophecy about him being the one on top, and how, you know, all, how all that went down. And Laban's going, but, but wait a second, in our country? I know what you did over there, but we respect the firstborn. I mean, Jacob's really getting what he sowed here. Verse 27 it says, finish the daughter's bridal week, then we'll give you the younger one also in return for another seven years of work. And Jacob did so. He finished the week with Leah, and then Laban gave his daughter Rachel to be his wife. Laban gave his servant, uh, gave his servant Bilhah to his daughter Rachel as her attendant. Jacob made love to Rachel also, and his love for Rachel was greater than his love for Leah, and he worked for Laban another seven years. Now, you could imagine this doesn't cause any issues in the marriage whatsoever, right? Anytime you introduce anything into your marriage like this, it will cause problems, plain and simple, and it's wrong, okay? God goes on later on and outlaws all this kind of stuff. Two weddings, Leah and Rachel. Now, you know, seven years later, Jacob is learning the school of hard knocks here, and he has to work through all this because it's, <laughs> it's caused a lot of problems. Jacob breaks quite a few commandments. In Hebrews 2.2, it says, For since the message spoken through the angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received, it's just punishment. We need to understand, when we break God's laws, we will be held accountable. Now, there's grace and there's mercies, but a lot of times we will still get the result of the sin that happens in our life. You can ask for forgiveness, and you will receive forgiveness, but you're still going to get the result of what happens here most of the time. You know, it's, we use the, the same illustration all the time. You jump off a building, God will forgive you on the way down, right? We all believe that, right? Now, will you still hit the ground? Absolutely. God will forgive you, but there's still results to our action. And sometimes God has great mercy on us and doesn't allow those results to actually happen. But we don't think that that happens with every sin that we ask for forgiveness about. In Job 4.8, we read, it says, As I have observed, those who plow evil and those who sow trouble reap it. And this is what Jacob was receiving. It goes back uh, to verse 31. When the Lord saw Leah was not loved, he enabled her to conceive. But Rachel remained childless. Leah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Reuben. For she said, It is because the Lord has seen my misery Surely my husband will love me now. Now, Reuben's name means, behold, a son. In that culture, that was huge. To have a son, that was huge. Sorry, ladies, not my fault. I'm just saying. Still that way in a lot of Middle Eastern. To have a boy, that way in China and a lot of the, the Asian countries. 
you know, when a woman was pregnant, ready to give birth, the whole village would gather up. Wouldn't you love that? The whole village gathers up. And if it was a son, there'd be a big celebration, sing and dance. If it was a girl, they'd be saying, congratulations, see you later, and they all go back home. You know, it's kind of a weird thing. But because of this culture, boys were celebrated. And it goes on in verse 33. She conceived again, and when she gave birth to uh, a son, she said, uh, to a son, she said, because the Lord heard that I am not loved, he gave me this one too. So she named him Simeon. Simeon means hearing. In other words, the Lord heard me. Verse 34, and again she conceived, and she gave birth to a son, and she said, now at last my husband will become attached to me because I have borne him three sons. So he was named Levi. means joined or attached. You think she's trying to give hints here along the way to her husband. This really has to be one of the saddest stories of the Bible. Here's a wife, unloved by her husband, who really wants him to love her, hoping that sons will help. Surely if I do this now, now, he will love me. This is sad. Verse 35, she conceived again and she gave birth to a, a, uh, to a son and she said, this time I will praise the Lord. So she named him Judah and then she stopped having children. Judah means praise. Seems like something finally changed within her to, to Leah at this point. Her focus was on Jacob. Jacob, love me, Jacob, Jacob, I'm trying to please you, I'm trying to please you. But then somehow, somewhere along the way, her, her focus changed to the Lord. From trying to win her husband's approval to thanking and praising God for God's love and God's approval. God did great things for her. He gave her many sons. One of them was Levi, where the Levites come from. This is a priestly tribe. The other one was Judah, the tribe of where the Messiah would be born through. And, you know, all this in the midst of a heartbreaking life where she felt forsaken and unloved. But we have to remember when we feel that way, God is still with us. God is with us. Even in the toughest circumstances, we must get our eyes off people. We need to stop trying to get our, our approval and our affirmation from people because it, you know, it's nice way to, it's nice for people to encourage us or when they say thank you or job well done or you've been a great dad or you've been a great son or a great mom or all those things or a great husband or a great wife, a great friend. This is all wonderful, but people unfortunately will let us down. Sometimes the people we put the most into love us the least and we're like, Why? don't know why that is. It just happens sometimes. If this happens to you, you must get your eyes on God. That's the only way to get through it and realize that he is there. Even in the middle of the circumstances, we got to get our eyes off the people and on to God. We got to turn it to praise. If we keep our eyes on God, things will be much better. Like Peter on the Sea of Galilee. Remember what happened to Peter? He gets out of the boat Storm's going all around, and he gets out on the boat, and he starts walking on water because he saw Christ going, you know, coming across the water, and they thought it was a ghost. And Jesus said, no, it's, it's me. I'm the Lord. You know, I can walk on water. And Peter gets out of the boat, and he's like, well, if you can do it, I have enough faith that I can start doing it. And he's doing it. 
But then as soon as he starts looking down, going, wow, I can't believe I'm doing this, what happens? Start sinking. If you feel like you're sinking, what do you need to do? Look up and get your eyes back onto the Lord. That's when you can accomplish great things. Get your eyes off of other people and onto God. That's what's important. Because trying to get people, you know, trying to have people be the pleasing atmosphere in your life, sometimes it'll work, sometimes it won't. But God, guess what? If you do things the way God wants you to do things, it'll be pleasing to Him. Your worth comes from the Lord. It doesn't come from the other person. Why don't we pray as the worship team comes up here and finishes this out. Lord, I pray that we look at these lives as historical figures in the Bible and that we can learn from them. Learn that our, our love in this life comes ultimately from you. That you can supply wonderful things in our life if we just do the things your way. We pray that we learn from from mistakes that others that have gone before us, that we look at their life and say, man, that, that was really not a good decision. How can I prevent myself from making a decision exactly like that? That we would go down the path that you would have us on, that there would be a lot less heartache in our life if we go down your path. But ultimately, Lord, The love that you have for us can sustain us. And I pray that we look to you for that love. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. And may you feel his love this year. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.